Hello, this is For Art's Sake, a podcast that gives voice to museum people. Here we discover their untold stories for art's sake and for your sake. Our guest today is Abby Bird, who helped make Dudley's Black Country Living Museum world famous thanks to social media. The Black Country Living Museum became a sensation in 2020 when they launched their TikTok account that today has more than half a million followers and 8 million likes. TikTok provided great means for sharing the Black Country story. Putting live costume interpretation to good use has given us a fascinating insight into the life of working-class Victorian society. All of this with a modern twist. We'll be chatting with Abby about social media success, challenges, visions for the future, and much more. Welcome, Abby. Hello, good to be here. Hello, hello. So, and before we delve into the world of social media and uh, deadly characters, we'd love to learn more about you. Tell us your story and why you decided to join the communications team at the BCLM. I've always known that I wanted to work in museums. It's been there in the back of my brain for a, since I was maybe at A-levels. And I always used to think it's because I liked history. <laughs> and I do like history. I'm, I'm fascinated by history. But I think it's more that I'm actually just fascinated by people. <laughs> and what makes them tick. And I think museums, when they're done right, they kind of open up worlds that you didn't, you know, and, and, and ways of viewing the world that you didn't think about before. So I think that's what kind of brought me into the world of museums. And it's also a good trait for a marketer to have too, to be concerned with other people and what makes them tick. So that's why I got into museum marketing. And then the Black Country Living Museum, I remember... <laughs> Everyone goes on a school trip there who lives on the, in the West Midlands. It's like rite of passage. And I always remember being fascinated by it because it just takes you back into this time that, you know, and it allows you to experience this time fully. It's so immersive and it's so evocative and you smell the smoke and you hear the horses trotting past. And I was just always fascinated by it. And so then when a job came up there, I was like, this is the one, got to go for it. And I've been there for seven years now, a long time. It's pretty much spanned my entire career. I worked in an auction house for a year before that. And then when I landed at the, the, the job at the Black Country Living Museum, it was a coordinator post initially. And then I kind of moved up. And then here we are. Did you ever want to be one of those costume interpreters at the museum? Was that sort of when you were a little kid, that's what draws you in? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I've always had like a vivid imagination. And I, I, yeah, I, I've always been fascinated by the past. And particularly, I'm always fascinated by like the West Midlands working class history. So so yeah, I think that's probably what, what drew me in. And then I see, I always think like I would love to do a couple of days as a historic character because I think it's such a cool job. And why communications team in particular? Most marketers, if you really dig down into it, are, again, the interest in other people and what makes them tick, you know, and, and that's really, for me, what, what marketing is about. It's about getting, understanding, you know, what motivates other people and using the right set of tools to encourage behavior change. And when you understand that that's what marketing is really about and not sales, it's actually a really fascinating area to work in. But we get a bit of a bad rap, don't we, marketing people? People think of like old Gil from The Simpsons or something. <laughs> My partner works in marketing and I'm constantly just, just teasing her about it. So, yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. And, and I think it's even more pronounced in the museum sector, especially in museums that don't charge entry. Sometimes there's a big question mark over what the marketing function actually does. I think that comes from a misunderstanding of what marketing is, though. That's why I'm drawn to it, because it's so much more than sales. It's about really understanding other people, what makes them tick, and then using tools to try and figure out how to encourage behavior change. 
So what's your view on the role of social media for museums? What's the point? That's the heart. That's a million dollar question, isn't it? You know, I think that getting social media right is one of the most strategically important things that we can be doing as museums. And I think it's because of its unparalleled capacity to affect the type of change that we say we want to see in museums and the type of change that I think we need to see. You know, and that's because social media and its uptake and its usage, especially among young people, you know, 19 to 24-year-olds, they're using social media daily. It's one of the key ways in which we give brands meaning. And what I mean when I say brand is I don't just mean logos and, and like color palettes and brand assets. I mean the set of expectations, beliefs and experiences that people have about your organization and the amount of people that we can reach on social media. There is just no other touch point available to museums that can give us access to such a wide audience. And so... Also, as well, at the same time, social media is sort of changing the way that museums are consumed. You can get a taste of the museum experience online now and particularly on social media. But I think when it comes to social media, it's really important that we don't get into the territory of social media replacing a physical visit. Because right now, it doesn't, I don't think. Maybe in the future, maybe VR will support that, I don't know, but right now it doesn't. And so for me, whilst museums can partially be consumed online now, especially via social media, you know, some people may never visit and they may only interact with the museum on social media and that's it. And, and this means that we do need to increasingly be involving, you know, researchers and curators in the, in the content generation process. It's important that we don't forget that social media is fundamentally a marketing tool that is there to drive people to your museum. And that is, I think, where the real engagement should be happening. Not the real engagement, but the deeper engagement with the subject matter. Because nothing replaces a physical visit, especially not if you're a living museum. But I think in general, you know, it's one of the key ways in which people become familiar with your museum and your brand, having never met your brand before. And so it is fundamentally a marketing tool for me. So you mentioned specifically 19 to 24 year olds. We've got a statistic that 19 to 24 year olds spend an average of something like seven hours a day on social media, which which is a lot. Yeah. But increasingly, social media is going to be the only way you know a brand. You know what I mean? I just think that's fascinating because we used to be dealing in like, you know, posters and taking out advertising in magazines and shoving leaflets through people's doors. And it just doesn't make sense for 18 to 24 year olds anymore. Do you see much social media engagement from other age groups? Or is it pretty limited to that group? No, no. I mean, we did a survey on TikTok not too long ago. And I think each platform has its own user profile. And with TikTok, it's pretty much the vast majority are under 30. So we're talking Gen Z, younger millennials. Now, if you look at our Facebook audience, I mean, it's mostly over 40, mostly over 45. Yeah. You can actually, it's really funny. You can see it in the names that people have when they comment on your posts. On Facebook, it's like Karens and Debbies and, you know, all that kind of thing. And then if you go on TikTok, the, the names are distinctly younger, shall we say. Every boy is called Aiden. Every boy is called Aiden. <laughs> yeah. For whatever reason, 50% of the names involve BTS. And I don't know why. It's a K-pop group. They love K-pop. On, on... Yeah, no, I know. But I just don't understand what the, the obsession, the uptake is with including them in your name. You'll often get Jimin's wife, 96. And you're like, okay. Because if Jimin looks, he's going to be like, that's my wife. <laughs> he's going to be really one. excited. <laughs> I've um, referenced BTS in more than one of our TikTok posts because I'm a fan. So. Yeah, I saw that and I was completely lost because I'm an old man, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question with regards to the delicate balance of managing the museum social media because um, historical accuracy is obviously a priority for many museums mm -hmm. and while some museums may try to be more playful the content ends up being still quite stiff and academic 
in your opinion, is there balance? And if there is a balance, how to keep it? Yeah, I think, you know, to your point about trying to take ourselves less less seriously on social media and trying to employ humour, I think it's really important tool of engagement on social media in a sector that I think, if we're completely honest, is kind of elitist in many ways. And being less formal is, is going to be really, really important for us. But I think it's important to understand that being less formal and being silly and employing humour is, is really only one way to engage an audience because that's what social media is really about. It's about engaging an audience by telling a good story. And telling a good story, well, being humorous is only one way to do that. Like if you go on our TikTok channel, you're also sitting next to 1920s grandpa by the, the fireplace and he's telling you stories of old and, you know, it makes you kind of cry. And it's, it's just about making people feel things and engaging them in that way. So when it comes to employing humour, I think a couple of things are important. First of all, obviously, you know, it's under about understanding that that's not the only way to get engagement. You can do it in other ways, although it's helpful. And second of all, I think when it comes to employing humour on the internet, it's got to land. <laughs> you know what I mean? you you got to have the right people doing it. And the right people to do it are the people who spend a lot of time on the internet, a toxic amount of time on the internet, I would argue, because you can't just throw... Because everyone has the capacity to be funny. Everyone has the capacity to employ humour. But certain social media platforms require a certain type of humour. And that's why I always bang on about the fact that social media requires a certain level of experience and expertise to get right. You can't just stick anyone on there. So you do employ humour and it is the content is very playful. So how did you manage to put the TikTok idea forward within the organisation? Well, that was the other point I wanted to touch on, actually. So I think that, again, you know, with social media being as strategically important it is, because I don't know of any other way that you can reach hundreds of thousands of young people in a three-month period. It's, we, we've shown, there are more, we're not the only example of how powerful social media can be. It takes trust. Because the article I linked you to, uh, Georgina Brooks' idea about, like, you know, if if something makes sense on the internet, probably doesn't make sense in your boss's inbox or your boss's boss's inbox, is an issue, but it's not an issue if there's trust. Mm. So, like, the only reason I was able to do what I did with TikTok is because my line manager and his line manager turned around to me and was like, I don't really understand what TikTok's about, but I trust you. <laughs> and I think that there needs to be trust for the level of expertise required to manage social media, and that's key. But also the flip side of that is that you have to earn your trust. So you need to be presenting people with data, you need to be training people, you need to be bringing them along on that journey. And, and that's something that we're working on in the museum at the moment is, you know, talking to people about not just what social media is, but the role that it plays and trying to bring them on board in ways that are meaningful. But I think the, the real big key is, you know, you are going to run into situations where you've got a huge gap between what the internet wants and and what maybe your leadership team and your senior management have not knowledge of. But I think the way you bridge that gap is you have trust of the person that's managing social media. Have you had much resistance to sort of newer ideas from management and from perhaps older trustees? I can imagine that telling trustees, hey, we want to spend some time and money on making funny videos for teenagers on the internet <laughs> might not go down that well. I haven't, no. Okay. But I understand why you would think that, because I know that pl plenty of people who have. And I think that you do kind of have to accept that, actually, sometimes there are just going to be grumpy people who are like, well, TikTok's not for us, and it's just silly teenagers. I think it's actually just would be easier and more efficient for you to say that you don't like children and you think they're idiots, because that's what you're basically saying. 
<laughs> you know. But no, we, we haven't. But that's, I think, because I took the data and I was like, okay, look at how many people are using TikTok. Look at the type of people that are on there. You know, we are talking about a platform that within a few months' time is going to have as many monthly active users as Instagram, right? So this is a big pond to fish in. It's also full of young people. It also has a really strong learning component. So if you go on TikTok, there's a little light bulb in the left-hand corner. You click on that and it'll only feed you learning content, right? So... To me, it's like a, a non, it's a no-brainer. Like, why would you not want to be on there? In the next three to six months, not being on TikTok is kind of kind of be like the equivalent of saying, well, I'm not really on Instagram. I'm not interested in it. It's just going to be a bit weird, <laughs> you know? So, and just a brief question about your team, because I assume you're not alone. Is there someone you're working with? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we're a three-person team at the moment, so we're tiny. So a lot of people are like, oh, God, the social media team at Black Country Living Museum is really cool. I'm interesting that you would think we were a so we have a social media team. <laughs> it's literally me. And, and then I line manage marketing coordinator. And then it's my line manager who's head of comms. So it's a small team. Back to TikTok, mm -hmm. uh, the elephant in the room. So why TikTok as opposed to any other social media platform? I think so often... I just, I don't, I, and I don't mean to be so pessimistic, but I, I often think that when it comes to museum social media management, often we conflate social media management with Twitter account management. And when we talk about social media, what we're really saying is Twitter. And I think that's fine if, you know, you're interested in talking to a fairly middle-class audience that are slightly more educated than the average population. That's fine for most traditional museums, but I don't really think it solves the problems of making museums less elitist. And I don't really think it solves the problem of engaging with young people. And so at the end of the day, if you're a marketer, then you're going to be end user focused and you're going to be audience focused and you can, you, it is literally your job to fish in the right pond. So if we say that we're interested in engaging young people with history, then we need to be where young people are. And right now, literally young people are on TikTok. And I don't disagree, you know, there are also young people on Twitter because I think, you know, Twitter is also a young platform. My question would be, is that actually who you're talking to? You know, and if that's what your data says, that I'm on Twitter and I'm talking to young people, fine, I have no problem with that. But my question would be, are you? <laughs> you know, because a lot of the time we, we also say in the sector, like, young people, millennials, mm, millennials aren't that, Yeah, I'm, I'm a millennial, I'm 30, <laughs> I'm yeah, and that's, you know, that's... Yeah. <laughs> Things are starting to hurt that shouldn't be hurting, oh, like, yeah. definitely not young. <laughs> so I'm talking about actual young people, like 18 to 24-year-olds that are doing the renegade dance on TikTok. Like, those are young people. I don't know what the renegade dance is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to do it for you. <laughs> Why has the BCLM account been so popular? I, you know, I, I think about this a lot, and I think there are probably a lot of small reasons, but I think the one big reason is that the content is engaging. It makes you feel something, makes you laugh, it makes you cry, and it tells a good story, you know. And, and who we are on TikTok, and this is another thing I wanted to talk about, is who we actually are in real life. You see 20s grandpa sitting by a fireplace. We have grandpas sitting by fireplaces who tell you stories of the past, and it's it's really fun. We have people dressed up in costume. We even employ humor. We do a lot of slapstick comedy in the summer holidays. So it's not like we're catfishing you. Who we say we are on social media is, is who we actually are. You can expect all of that and more when you come to the museum. So I think that's why it's been so popular and also on top of that, we adjust the content that we put out to the platform, 
right? So we look at the things that are trending on TikTok and we take our subject matter and our offer and we adjust it to that. And we use the language, it's going to sound really cringy, but we use the language that young kids are using. You know what I mean? And it makes it more relatable to them. Speaking of things being, you know, a little bit cringy, obviously the the platform moves quite quickly. Things go in and out of, of style very quickly, trends pass very quickly. How do you decide which trends you are going to latch onto and which ones you're going to try and appeal to and which are going to be ignored because in five, six months, that <laughs> content will be, you know, put into cringe compilations by some 15-year-old who wants <laughs> oh, to make God. fun of you. <laughs> it pro- it, it's all probably going to be put in a cringe compilation because I... Do you ever think back to like sometimes like 2012 humor and like all the memes that were popular then? And some, yeah. now I just don't even crack a smile at them. Yeah, the, the amount of times that like 15-year-old <laughs> James used the word epic is disgusting. Oh, God, it's so cringe <laughs> yeah. now, isn't it? It's, yeah, totally. I, I think that probably will happen. There's, there's nothing we can do about that. I would say that the trends on TikTok probably have like a anywhere from like a week to a month long life cycle before they start going off the For You page. Sometimes they're a little bit longer. So, I, I mean, I've been on TikTok for a couple of years. And by the way, TikTok is not a new platform. It really bugs me when people say TikTok's a new platform. No, it is not. <laughs> So yeah, they have a short lifespan, but this is where I think it comes down to intuition and like creativity. A lot of the time I will look at a trend, I'll be like, that fits. And I can't really explain why I just kind of know. So again, like you can know all the theories about TikTok. You can understand what leads to better engagement on the For You page and the right hashtags to use and blah, 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 blah. But unless you have the good intuition for it, it's kind of going to fall to nothing really. So a lot of the time I just think, you know what, I've got a story at the museum that's going to fit with that and if I don't then I just leave it alone great and also I talk to people in the museum as well I'm like I'll show people and I'll be like here's this meme what piece of historical information do you know that can fit with this (laughs) so I will often talk to the researchers I'll be like do we have anything that we can riff on do you know of any like objects that we could use or like pieces of history that we could use to riff on this trend and a lot of the time they they'll they'll just send me random emails at like 11 o'clock at night I've seen this TikTok thing like maybe we could do this so that's how we, we kind of work. In terms of your, your audience response, obviously it's been pretty pretty positive mostly. Mm. Have you had any kind of notable negative responses? And how do you how do you deal with that when you do get those less than desirable reactions? A lot of the time we we look at I don't know if you've looked at all the videos on a TikTok account. Not all of them, but some of them. Feminist history is a strong theme because I think that's what Gen Z are interested in. They're very interested in social justice. Mm. So we try to focus on subjects that matter to them. And because TikTok affords a certain level of anonymity in the same sense that I think Twitter does, you do get trolls come out whenever we touch on subject matter to do with women, which is really unfortunate. But I'm not a big believer in deleting comments and just pretending that those views are not there. I like to address them with, facts and data and then if they want to continue belittling women then that's on them but a lot of the time our followers do that job for us they'll say like what are you talking about you moron (laughs) you know what I mean for example when we were looking at women's role in world war ii the amount of comments that we got of people saying like oh well at least you don't have to go off and die but also this history can exist simultaneously so calm down so that those are the negative the negative comments we'll get and I think that's just because of the the level of anonymity on the platform to be honest Okay, and in terms of impacts, because we understand that you can measure the clicks, the the likes, the comments. Mm-hmm. However, is there a way to measure a more meaningful impact the account has had? 
Yeah, so there is a way to make TikTok hook up to your analytics. I've just struggled to do it. Basically, I can figure out how many people are going onto the website, but not really what they do after. But I'm also, at the same time, not crazy on tracking conversion because I just don't think that that's how people make decisions. <laughs> you don't see an ad and then go, well, I'm going to buy that. There's multiple touch points that you have to go through. You get a recommendation off a friend. Then maybe you see an ad. Then maybe someone mentions the TikTok video. And then maybe later on that night, you Google the Black Country Living Museum and buy a ticket. And I can never attribute it to TikTok. So I'm not a big believer in conversion tracking. That said, I did do a poll because I wanted to know a bit more about our followers on TikTok. And it's really interesting because, I mean, like some 10,000 people or something responded. And the vast majority of them, I'm talking like 85 90% said they were under 30. Wow. And also that same amount said that this was the first time they'd ever engaged with a museum on social media ever. <laughs> so we're talking about really young, really culturally disinterested people. Museum gold dust, really. And then also in the same time, we have seen an uplift of 18, no, a 15% uplift of 18 to 24-year-olds visiting the website. That's... Don't know that they're from TikTok, but I'm guessing that's probably... Yeah. <laughs> that's probably what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess the most difficult age group to get. Mm. Or one of, yeah. I think so, definitely. Do you find that there are any visitors or would-be visitors who you struggle to engage with social media? Any that you know, you've specifically reached out to and that it just isn't clicking? And if so... Do you then try and tailor your content to meet that audience or do you accept that that's someone we're not going to reach through social media and, and you have to try other channels? I remember trying to use some of the TikTok content on Facebook and it went down like a lead balloon. <laughs> it was bad, bad. And I kind of knew that that was going to happen, but I just wanted to see for myself, really. So, yeah, I mean, it's difficult. Branding theory, old school branding theory is that like you should maintain a consistent tone of voice across all channels. It doesn't work like that anymore. Principles, marketing principles stay the same, but practice changes. And we do adjust. We do adjust the type of content that we do on different platforms. In, in particular, Facebook, you know, we, we, we like to stick to like themes of nostalgia and like things that are going to appeal to people basically that are over 40 and, you know, uh, the good old times and historic photos and things like that. That's just what works with them. And we use... We even use different emojis on different platforms. It's just like that specific. And then Instagram, it's more about the aesthetic parts of the museum and making it look beautiful. And then the tone of voice is slightly less formal. And then we get to TikTok and it's just chaos and it's completely informal and using school emojis all over the place. So yeah, we, we do we do tailor it quite significantly. We didn't used to though. Just having scrolled a little bit through the videos and I actually spent about 20 minutes there. So that's that's a good sign. So do you use TikTok? No, I don't. But actually, I checked it out maybe for the third time in a year mm-hmm. just because of you. So <laughs> when I noticed that I spent 20 minutes, you know, I think that's pretty impressive for myself. It's very addictive. So the videos, the, the videos are of pretty good quality and it's just they're so engaging. And in terms of budget, what are the costs involved to create these videos? <laughs> I mean, to be honest with you, most of them are filmed on a phone. So, I mean, we, we sometimes use a DSLR. If, no way. Yeah. Well, we sometimes use a DSLR if the lighting's really bad, mm. but they are mostly just done on a phone. And this is why I always say, like, you don't need a big expensive kit to get started on TikTok. It's just more about the ideas, really. It is actually less about having an expensive kit and more about having the time and space to think and be creative and manage a platform that can sometimes get 10,000 followers a day because that's what we were at in December. I mean, it was insane 
we get quite a lot of support from TikTok. So we're, we're part of what is called the Learn on TikTok program, I think. And, and they basically give us financial support, which we use for people power, not filming right. power. Because it takes a lot to organise the videos and get people in the right place and get the buildings unlocked and get the right props and get the right clothing and blah, 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 blah. And you have to do all of this without disturbing the visitor. So, you know... Yeah, so I mean, sort of moving forward, what's what's the vision for the future? How are you going to continue to bring the Black Country Living Museum to future generations, to the whatever comes after Gen Z? What does come after Gen Z? Actually, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, that's the thing. I think we really they really shot themselves in the foot by starting with X for these later <laughs> generations. <laughs> Where do we go yeah. now? Start with A. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you bring it to How do you bring it to that next group? Is that something that can't really be conceptualised yet, or do you already have some uh, some irons in the fire? Right now, we're sticking with TikTok because, as I have said, you know, we're active on other channels, by the way. We do pretty well on Facebook. It's like when we were started getting all this recognition for TikTok, and I was like, that's cool, but we also do other things as well. We have the high, one of the highest visitor-to-follower ratios on Facebook for any museum. I think we're only just behind the Tate. So we do we do pretty good with our group that we call Facebook Families. That's our segment. That's our segment for Facebook. And it's really inventive. <laughs> but I would say that what will guide us in the future is we want to fish in the right pond. Someday that pond may not be TikTok. And if that ever stops being the case, then we move. You know what I mean? We let the data guide us. We don't just stick on a platform because that's what we're comfortable with. That's where the middle class people are. And that's what I'm, I'm middle class. So I'm more comfortable talking to highly educated, more liberal middle class people. If we are genuinely committed to getting young people and people who are less culturally engaged, if we are committed to that, then we need to be where they are. And right now that's on TikTok, but it may not be going going forward. And if that's the case, then we'll change. And do you have any tips for sector professionals on how they might build their institution social media visibility? I think really the biggest tip if I could give if you're looking to get started on TikTok is just use it. <laughs> just download the app and use it. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's really hard to try and get a feel for TikTok and its subculture, which is increasingly informing mainstream culture, to be fair songs that trend on TikTok magically find their way into the charts and people are like, oh, this is weird. Why is this trending? It's TikTok. It's always TikTok. Yeah, that, <laughs> we're talking about the sea shanties because that doesn't make sea sense shanties. to me, but apparently they're very popular now. <laughs> very little makes sense on TikTok. Yeah. You kind of have to let go of logic because it's just a crazy place. But I just would advise just use it and let go of preconceptions because I think I think that sometimes when people go onto TikTok, they watch the first few videos and they're like, oh, God, this is cringy and there's loads of little children dancing on there. Use it and interact with the content and eventually the For You page will tailor content for you. So you'll start to see things that you're interested in and then you won't see. If you're not interested in teenagers doing the Renegade, then that's not what you're going to see. Like if you're interested in like dark academia or cottagecore, then that's what you're going to see. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're still saying words that make no sense to me what's dark academia what's cottagecore it's... these are like aesthetic lifestyles that you can live on tiktok so you know so so how millennials we romanticize like getting away to the beach traveling the world because i think we just became like a bit i don't know i think with that with that generation where gap years were a thing and we were all told we could go on gap years and travel yeah yes that's millennials but Gen Z, they like to romanticise, for whatever reason, living in cottages and reading literature and picking wildflowers. And that's the cottagecore aesthetic. Interesting. So it's just like the same way that we were like, you know, wearing ombre hairstyles and going to the beach. And, you know, it's the same thing, but same, same, but different, really. We've got a couple of questions that we ask everybody. So first, 
Abby, if you had unlimited funding through some magical benevolence, what kind of museum or cultural space would you would you put that towards, either sort of before or, or even after COVID? I think how I would start is by asking people. And I think that sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but I would start by asking people what it is that they want because I think sometimes we tend to skip over that process in this sector. And I think that when you're genuinely end user focused, the product always ends up coming out better rather than you just guessing or making assumptions about what you like. So I would assume that if we were talking to younger people or people who are less quote unquote culturally engaged, we want spaces that are going to be immersive and evocative and really bring the past to life in ways that make sense. Not very, very complicated I guess, interpretation about a pre-Raphaelite collection. Like, most people don't even know when that is. Like, my mom doesn't know when that is. If I said to mom, when's the Victorian period? She'd be like, mm. You know what I mean? So we need to, like, stop making assumptions that people, you know, that everyone has this middle-class sentiment and approach to, to art and culture, because they don't. So if I had infinite money, it would be a space that was based on what people said they want, and it would be approachable, and it would be immersive, and it would be evocative and I would it, do you know what probably the Black Country Living Museum I'm not going to lie to you Ooh. <laughs> I just think it's the best but Be- beautiful plug there <laughs> that's great yeah I can tell you that it was uh, it was hard to live in working class Victorian Midlands. I can tell you that. I can show you objects, but when you step into a two uh, you know a two up two down house and you see that like eight people were living there and you can see how hard it was to even make a bloody cup of tea, you have to light an entire range. You're going to understand it a hell of a lot better than if I just show you an object. It's going to make a lot more sense to you. And Abby, if there was one thing you want people to go away from this interview thinking about, what is it? Think about your audience. Don't just do what you want to do. Think about your audience. Even if you're not part of that audience, try to understand what motivates them. And also allow yourself to be driven by the data. Abby, where can people find you and where can they find the Black Country Living Museum? I, well, I'm not on TikTok, but I am on Twitter and I also have LinkedIn. And I would, if anyone wants to have a conversation about the world of TikTok or social media, I'm very open to that. So please contact me. And then where can you find the Black Country Living Museum? Well, right now we're we're not open, so go to our TikTok page. (laughs) Thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of For Art's Sake. If you'd like to learn more about who we are and what we do, find us online at forartsake.co.uk, on Twitter at sake underscore arts, or on Instagram at forartsake.uk.